0: I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and today on the detail, I'm in the Otago town of Naseby, population 150, famous for curling, motto 2,000 feet above worry level. And here, right here in the centre of this old gold mining town, you're just surrounded by history. There's the little general store here that I'm passing, there's the one of two old pubs just across the way that's getting done up. And then there's the cutest little watchmaker shop. But the reason I'm here is not to talk about the curling, and it's not really to talk about the history. It's to talk about this town's bid to be the first dark sky community in the southern hemisphere. And it's not just about everybody closing their curtains at night and turning their lights down. There's been a lot more to it than that. In fact, this has been eight years in the making. And what sets it apart from the other dark sky places is that they are reserves like Rakiura Stewart Island, Te and Altea Great Barrier – Naseby is an entire community. OK, it may only have 150 people, but it's not an empty field. So I'm off to the cafe to meet three Naseby locals who have led this ambitious project. Tourism operator John Crawford, astrophysicist Paul Bishop, who does night sky tours, and Jill Wolfe, who's done a lot of the groundwork on the international accreditation. You've brought along a report it's our application. What is this this oh, is our app.
1: This is actually our application. Okay. Um, I had to be loved, I didn't print it all off, so it's about 150 pages. Wow. Um, this is from the Dark Sky, and um, this is saying the types of things that you've got to tick off to actually be able to put your application forward before you, before you, they'll actually look at it. Mm-hmm. So it just goes through. You've got to have um, mapped out completely where your Dark Sky area is going to be. Um, you've got to show that your community is actually agreeing to you. You've got to show your lighting inventory of what they've all the main lighting around the town, that it meets the criteria. Um, and a, a big one is the education. We've done lots of night sky. You know, this is what the night sky is about on the, on the domain here, and it's, it's been
0: lovely. So the children of Naseby will, will be night sky experts?
1: It yeah, well, would be nice to think, yeah.
0: So, Jill, we're just a few week, weeks away from the final step to accreditation, and you're making a bit of a face at that. <laughs> it's been a long, <laughs> <It's> been painful <laughs> process.
1: Long, painful process, and each year, every time we think we're a few weeks, it tends to be a little bit longer than that. We're at the last stage in the fact that um, the council plan is, we're waiting for that to go out to for public consultation, and that um, should be the last step. If that goes according to the way we hope it will, with no um, objections or anything like that, then, then once that, I think it's a 20-day period, or whatever it is, is, is done, then, yeah, we can then resubmit um, our IDA application. Um, Your ID, what's the IDA? Oh, sorry, IDA? International Dark Sky
2: Association.
0: Take me back to the beginning, though, because we're talking about several years ago. Who's, whose bright idea was it to do this?
2: Well, I think it might have been a combined sort of nasby Vision you know, we'd been talking to some astronomers who had visited the town from the uh, Dunedin Astronomical Society. They thought it, this was a great place, and you know, Tekapo was hugely successful and was close to us, so we knew that um, yeah, there'd be consistency of sky vision, if you like. Uh, we were always looking around for commercial opportunities to help keep jobs in the town and enable some growth we never wanted the place to be sort of overwhelmed with with tourists but you know you can get reasonable numbers in without really sort of uh, changing the ambience of the town and, and so on and so forth and uh, so it, it started off as a, as a, a means perhaps to create employment and we got Otago University involved in, in doing a tourism survey for us to see what sort of interest and where the people might come from and, and then we Basically, went for it. I
1: think about the same time we um, we were very lucky, and we got um, a couple of the IDA representatives over here from the states, and they were just blown away with, and they sort of said, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely, should. You need, you know, there's nothing that won't tick the boxes to become um, blown away to be by credited." Wash. Just the darkness. We haven't got any commercial lights at night. I think it's one of our huge advantages is that we are dark, dark. You've only got to basically walk. And you get away from any of the residential lights or anything lighting the street lights and things like that. Anyway,
0: so you thought, okay, we want to become the first community in the southern hemisphere to be a dark sky community, and I'm thinking, all right, well, in a tiny town like this, what is it? Just make sure that the residents draw their curtains and um, and everybody turns turns off their light at night. Is it simple as that? Yeah, no, we kind of. We knew
1: it wasn't quite as simple as that. We probably didn't know the degree of the complexity that was going to be. The International Dark Sky Association put out a whole set of rules and lists that you've got to meet to become a internationally accredited. Um, and for a community, it's it's quite strong. We met 90% of them. You have to monitor and test what your dark sky, how dark it is, so... Paul can explain how that all works, but yeah, there's a, a test that goes out. We go out at nighttime and say how dark the sky actually is in different areas around the town. Oh yeah. Um, the bit we had the problem with was that we didn't have anything in policy that stopped any residential putting bright lights out there. Um, so, and and that was where we fell down in the in the whole plan. Um, and there is only actually one place in New Zealand that has got a policy in place f- to actually monitor and manage um, residential lighting and that's Tekevo right. with the um, air racket, yeah.
0: If, you only, if that, that was the only thing, why has it taken you so long? Eight years, we're talking about eight years, aren't we John? <laughs> is it eight years? Why has it taken eight years, John?
2: Well, the first thing for us was to get the town on board, and I think we did that really well by getting... Um, we had night skies sessions. We brought up astronomers from Dunedin. We even had an astronaut, a NASA astronaut, come to town. And oh, who address was there? Address... Colonel Mike Hopkins. He was actually
3: on the space station when I was given a tour once. I said, there's an astronaut on there that's, uh, that's been to
2: Naseby. There's no <laughs> word of a lie. He was actually on it one night. Uh, so the local school sent virtually all their pupils up, mm-hmm. I think, <laughs> and the, the town hall was absolutely groaning with people, and it was a fantastic event. You know, everyone was fizzing. You know, yeah. a real-life astronaut in Nazbury was, you know, yeah. fantastic. So we we kind of created the groundwork, and we we did have support from the council, except <coughs> they were sort of a wee bit blown away by what we were trying to achieve and it didn't really take it as seriously. Then we found as we went through the process there were sort of mainly regulatory type things. So by the time you get through the mire of bureaucracy and you have, have to get town planning changes and exemptions and so on and so forth, this was just a process that went on and on and on. Oh. But in recent times the council has really stepped up and, and uh, has even provided a bit of funding and things and have been really supportive the last couple of years, haven't they? You know how
1: does some of those things, they sit there, we, you, they go to council, yeah, we support it, we understand it, but it's not a priority for us. And all, all of a sudden, and they see the tourism opportunities, they see what it does to wildlife, you know, the, the dangers, and they see they start to see the benefits, because mm. what we had to do was actually change the district plan. We had to put a new um, chapter into the district plan, which is quite an involved, it's got a, you know, it's not easy. It appears it's not easy from a council point of view. And the other thing the council had the problem was is that no one had done it before. <laughs> like, I think the Tekapo one was in, in the 80s, so it kind of didn't probably give them much to go on. Yeah. Um, so they didn't have another council out there that they could actually copy or, you know, cut and paste sort of thing.
0: The council didn't take you seriously, but what, what were you asking the council to do?
2: The first step was to actually make sure all the lighting was compliant. And so the council, in that respect, were extremely good. We were the first community in the Central Otago district to actually get um, 3,000 3, Kelvin lighting. So Which it, is it's, it's all LED lighting. It's all down lighting. So there's no sort of upward lighting to affect the night sky. We even have the lights here dim at 10 o'clock just to give that extra darkness. But it was all the, the regulatory stuff that really mm-hmm. kind of killed us for a long time. You know, regulatory,
0: we, you know, I just can't imagine what regulatory stuff... You need to comply
1: with. One of the other things was that the district plan was actually up for renewal completely. So I think we got put a little bit, it was kind of like, "Mm, let's not spend money and make a big change to the existing district plan. But now I think they're actually just, seems like they're just actually now progressing, just making the changes.
0: Right, and is that all to do with lighting and making sure that it's dark?
2: yeah. Um, but if you build here or you alter the, um, your, your home and you change the outside lighting, it's got to comply with the new standard that has been set for Naseby and probably will also impact the rest of the Central Targa district, I think. Yeah. So it's you know that's had a very positive effect on a wider scale as well, which has been really good.
0: Because I notice at the little place that we're staying at has got fairy lights strung on the fence outside. Is that allowed? Um, yeah, the, the fairy lights,
1: the so little solar lights have become quite a big thing. At Christmas time you can have holiday lights and then you should take them down after that period is finished. The wee fairy lights, um, I think we just need to going to do some de- tests on that and I'm assuming I'm hoping that they're all sort of lower than what the level of lighting is you'll probably find because they're solar they'll only have a very small viewing area that,
3: yeah, oh, okay. I would be surprised if they're a problem you but I don't surprised.
1: know. Security lighting What happens there? Um, Most people think security lighting the brighter the better. Actually not the case. On the IDA website, actually, they show you some quite clear examples where, where it's really, really bright. What happens is it becomes focused on a particular area. So your wee burglar knows that and can see it and walks around the outside area of it. And actually, you don't see it because you are focused on the bright light and you don't see what's in the shadows. You reduce that light by you know half, quarter, and make it a, a much dimmer light. You actually are seeing much broader area. So you, you actually see beyond that um, bright light. So it's quite an interesting one because your mindset. Says brighter is secure.
0: What about just general garden lighting? Uh,
1: so, what it is is a certain amount of lumens that you're that you're allowed to have per acre or hectare of land. If, when you spread lights over that area, there's not a lot of lighting out there. And
0: so, garden lighting's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's the measuring thing. Okay.
3: So. So this is um, the same meter that. I think uh, everyone uses for sky quality measurement. Yes, basically it measures the darkness of the sky. So on a scale of sort of up to around about 22. Yeah. Um, So the higher the number, the darker the sky. Um, Because astronomy goes backwards, it's the the other way around. So so a brighter object is a more negative number.
0: So it's called a sky... Sky quality metre, SQM metre. And it's about, you know, the size of your hand. Yeah. And then what happens when you switch it on? So
3: you switch it on and takes a reading, and obviously 9.54, so it's pretty bright in here, obviously. I mean, you want something around about the 21, 20, mm-hmm. 22 mark. Um, so I, when I use it, I tend to take four readings. Um, there are different ways of using it. I prefer to point it at the South Pole, the South Pole in space, that is. Um, the point in space which would be directly above your head if you're standing on the South Pole. So Effectively, it measures a, a cone of, of sky. Okay. Okay. So and it you, tells you how dark it, it is. It tells you how dark it is, yeah.
0: And then you then how do you use that information?
3: I just I use it to log. Um, I don't know if, what standards we need for dot sky creation, but um, I'm building up a log of my site, and I've also got some measurements at home as well, uh, just at my house, just out of interest.
0: From what you know, what are the darkest parts of?
1: Well, Julie, you, you might
3: know more than I do there because I haven't. Been, I wasn't part of the survey around the town.
1: So when we did night monitoring, we actually had people come in and do it for us the first time just to help us and show us what to do so they went round and they selected, oh I think it was probably about 20 or 30 different locations around town um, just random locations, like middle of leven Street, um, somewhere you know, a, hotel, a motel somewhere up the road um, somewhere slightly out of town and places like that and did those readings and then did them the next night and did them over a succession of nights sort of thing just to make sure there was consistency in those readings um, and they did sit around 22 which was absolutely fantastic um, to be fair I think the only place that was slightly lower was the place that we owned at the time <laughs> we, had a, we had a light that wasn't great which we had to fix very quickly
0: and so that number 21-ish, 22 it, how does that compare with other places
3: I think Tekapa was somewhere around about 21.8-ish 21.7, something like that, I can't remember um, but I, don't, I haven't seen figures for Great Barrier Island, for example, or Stewart Island. But I imagine they're around the same, same sort of ballpark.
1: Yeah, and you would expect um, those ones to be really dark like that because they're reserves, so not much housing, not much you know lighting in reality. There's huge darkness areas and the fact that they are reserved, which is why it's kind of a lot harder to do the um, community one because mm. you're actually doing it within you know, an area where people are living.
0: Is, is there anybody in Naseby who just said, no, not interested? Um, no, we
1: not the winner of it all. When Way back, we actually went round door to door. We didn't get any negative feedback at all. People's concern was, how is this going to affect me? What about my lights? What if I want to do something outside? So it was trying to make people really comfortable with the fact that um, it doesn't change any existing lighting, not that there was any that was wrong anyway. The rules are... They're not there to stop people being able to do anything outside or, mm. you know, have have that lighting. It's just... Putting practical things in place, really, to make sure that the light doesn't shine up.
0: But clearly you had to push hard for this. You know, you said the council, and it's taken you so many years. Yeah, you sure. had to push hard to be taken seriously.
2: Yeah, I'm just glad Paul had the fortitude to hang on in there, you know, because oh, he, really? he was a bit of a pioneer in his own right. You know, he he, um, he bit the bullet and was here sort of waiting for it to happen. And, you know, it was like, and I think, Jill, every, every time, you know, we the, the, some other hurdle, we'd sort of be a bit sheepish when it came to a conversation with Paul, you know. <laughs>
0: Hang in there, Paul. The suffering goes on. Do you expect others to follow, you know, once you get the accreditation? Do you, do you think there'll be...
3: Yeah, I think this, it's inevitable, and I know already Glen are looking at it, and I got invited down there to give them a presentation uh, fe- February last year.
1: The big talk is actually um, there being a dark sky New Zealand. Big ask, big That's steps, ambitious. but... No, you're very ambitious, but, um, you know...
0: Got to start no reason why
1: not. Mm, well, mm. and really, when you like, there's places in, in the states, Arizona, uh, Sedona, sort places that actually are accredited. So you sort of think they're big cities, um, but they still manage to get accreditation. So you know, New Zealand's not that. Wouldn't yeah. be hard. It shouldn't. Shouldn't be no, hard to yeah, do. <laughs> you
0: can do it. Speaking of big, I'm with Paul Bishop under the big money at Sky as dusk is falling. No sign of unnatural light here in this paddock above Naseby where Paul has his hut, and that's why it's perfect for night sky tours.
3: We're we're about 640 metres here, so that's that's looking west, and as you can see, there's nothing there. I mean, it's almost almost you know level with your eye. You know, just. Unfortunately, the horizon there is just miles away. The the worst bit is is the north part here, and that's still very good.
0: Yeah, that's Um, the the Ida range. Ida
3: range, yeah. So it's not much higher than the the cloud-based level there, actually. That's only just covering the peaks, so it gives you an idea of how high that is. Um, So that only covers, what, five degrees, maybe six degrees. And the north part of the sky is probably the part of the sky I show the least. Oh. There is an object that's, that rises in the north there about this time of year. Oh, what is it? It's just a ring nebula. It represents what our sun's gonna, what's going to happen to our sun in billions of years' time. So it's looking at, almost like looking at our sun's future, if you see what I mean.
0: Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I They're really hard to get my head around.
3: <laughs> I mean, my standard tour is a tour of the solar system, and then we move out to the stars and into our galaxy. I like to give telescope time as early as possible. Because otherwise people are hanging, especially if they're kids, otherwise people are hanging around. So I've come up with what I call a time travel tour. And that way you get to look at down the telescope within five minutes. And that time travel tour is effectively telling the story of our solar system from its history to its future.
0: Hmm. <clears> but basically what we've site. got here, let's walk over there because it's freezing. <laughs> It is cold. Um, It's a bit warm. It will be
3: a bit warmer in the hut. There's no heating, um, but... um. But
0: it's just a big, big sky, isn't it? That's why you're here.
3: Yeah. A lot of people do refer to it as big skies, of many many toto.
0: And it's pretty cloudy here
3: tonight. Yeah, it's very low cloud here tonight, isn't it?
0: Okay. And we're in this... Oh, we're in a little shed here.
3: So I'm in the process of making it more welcoming for people
0: this is the telescope base that you're getting out now? Yep. It's called the Sky Watcher.
3: This one's Sky Watcher, yep. It's a Dobsonian telescope, which refers to the the mounting um, configuration, really. The telescope itself is what you call a reflecting telescope. Basically, it uses mirrors. This one's tracking, so when you get power onto it, um, you get it all lined up, which means dead level and aligned... True north south, and then when that's ready, you switch it on. In this handset, you've got all you've got about I don't know how many thirty thousand objects programmed in. It comes preloaded, um, so all you have to do is pick it from a menu the object you want to look at, which is ideal for tours because it means you can flick around between objects very quickly. If I was doing a tour tonight, we'd probably start with um, a star cluster, so I'd have that programmed in, and I'd tell it to go there and I'd have it sitting there waiting before the group arrives. So when they arrive it's already on the object. And also you want to check this working okay. Mm. Um,
0: what does it mean for you to have Naseby be declared a dark sky community and to be the first in the southern hemisphere
3: yeah it's a big it's a big thing really it's a nice it's a nice box to tick if we can get it i'm sure we will get it you know it's just a, it just feels like sometimes oh we're going to get it oh we're going to get it But surely we will um yeah it will be it will be great and it's great to be here you know sort of ahead of it getting set up and be established you know to sort of hit the ground running as it were um i'm not expecting an influx of people we you know we're off the beaten track a little bit um, but it can't go against us. You know, we, we numbers will increase. I mean, they are already increasing slightly.
0: You, do you get surprises even now when you look up to the sky?
3: I think I'm I'm surprised I still find, find it so amazing, some of it. You know, you, you look at an object, you think, wow, that's the best I've ever seen it, you know. And um, so far I've only had one person that thought, oh, is that Saturn sort of thing? And most people go, wow, that's Saturn. You know. <laughs> so I think that person might have been expecting to see something a bit like what you see from Hubble. It's not yeah. going to happen, you know? <laughs> no.
0: And where we are standing now, is there any sign of light pollution? Depending
3: on the cloud cover, looking over there, which is practically due south, you can see a glow from Dunedin. And Dunedin is? But you need, you need the cloud to be at a certain level. Because it was reflecting the streetlights from Dunedin. Um,
0: Dunedin is one hour forty-five minutes by car from here.
3: Yep. Okay. Yep.
0: So that's quite a long way away. But if
3: it was crystal clear, you wouldn't get that because there's nothing for the lights to reflect off.
0: That does that affect, you know, what you what you no, can see?
3: No, no, wouldn't wouldn't impact it at all. No, and you've got to remember, you know, we are on farm farmland here. So sometimes if there's a bit of activity in the evening, obviously you can't do a tour. But i only had one evening when that was happening. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, doing the bales. And the only other impact here would be when they do um, pest control, you know, spotlighting, shooting rabbits or whatever. Oh, yeah. um, so, But it's in their procedures to call me when they're doing it. So, you know, people don't want to hear gunshots going off in the dark when you show showing people right. the night sky.
0: But, Paul, you, in a way, you've taken quite a big risk to come here. Well, you came, I have. You know, in 2018, you, you kind of packed up your life in Dunedin. Yep. You decided not to go to Tekapo. You came yeah. here... You've waited quite a long
3: time. I know. I'll be honest, it has been nerve-wracking at times. There was an occasion I wasn't feeling too, too good about things and I had um, one piece of equipment on test at home because it was having I was having problems with it. This would be my biggest test, I think, and, um this particular occasion. And this, this there was this woman staying, she was here for two nights and the first night was the night I had this equipment on test and I explained that to her and the weather wasn't looking good and it was only one person. I don't do tours for one person. And I was feeling so... Bad about things not just because of the tours but other things just weren't going right you know mm-hmm. and I thought this will really test me if I can do this tour for this lady then I'll know it's what I really want to do and the equipment failed um, and that didn't make me feel any worse <laughs> so um, I contacted her and said well we'll go for tomorrow night and we did and when I got here um, I still wasn't feeling great Ah, oh, come on I set up, I still wasn't feeling great. And when she arrived, as soon as we got talking, bang, it was it, fine. Really enjoyed the evening, she really enjoyed it. And I got home and I said to myself, well, that was a real shot in the arm, you know, that really gave me a confidence that if I can feel that low about things and yet still give a tour that someone really enjoys, and I really enjoyed it, then, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing here, this is what I'm all about. (laughs)
0: That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Jill Wolfe, John Crawford and Paul Bishop. Ka kite anō.